Welcome to episode 111 of the Hillcrest Duo. 111, that is. I am your host, Metal John, at Metal John Radio on Twitter. Today is January the 18th, 2020. Happy 2020. I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Brad Risto. I am Brad Risto. Follow me on Twitter, at Brad Risto. All right. And on this episode of the Hillcrest Duo, we are going to talk about Crisis on Infinite Earths, which is the CW series, the big Big production full of lots of Easter eggs and yeah. cameos and lots of surprises. A Fan five, service. Five episodes long, and uh, the last episode just aired uh, this past Monday and Tuesday. Uh, Monday, right? Or was it I Tuesday? thought it was on um, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah, I think it was Tuesday. Yeah, something like that. It was a lot, The final two episodes just aired a few days ago. We are all caught up. We watch them. We're going to talk about those. But before we get into those, we want to kind of wrap up our 2019 thoughts. I've got my top 10 films of 2019. Brad has got his top five video games of 2019. So, um, Brad, why don't we run through your game list first, and yeah, then we'll get into my films. You're not as much as a gamer, but for, for me, number five. They release a game for this series, oh, every two to three years, and every year it's solidly good. They always make just enough improvements to keep you coming back, and I've been playing this series since, oh, it was 96 when Pokemon Red and Pokemon Blue came out, and this year it was Pokemon Sword and Shield, the first game, the first mainline Pokemon game released on a home console, because up until 9, it had always been... Get the Game Boy or its equivalent, the handheld device that you'd see all yep. the kids going around on. This is the first time it was released on a home console, although a Nintendo Switch is debatably a mobile device because you've seen kids playing it at the airport, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, question for you on these, because I know there is a ton of Pokemon games. And oh, no. uh, even the Let's Go, there was Let's Go Pikachu, Let's Go Eevee. Yep. With all of these different Pokemon games... I mean, are the games really different? They're because the, at the end of the day, they, you're a trainer were, and you're catching Pokemon. Yes, right? but there's different strategies, and then you're taking on different ones. But yes, just like I said, they add enough wrinkles to the formula to make it different. It's nowhere near as formulaic as, say, Madden, NHL, and the NBA games that are just quite literally the same game every year with a different roster. Yeah. There is some truth to that, that it's the same game every two to three years with a different roster of new Pokemon with new abilities and new um, uh, opposing trainers to battle. But in the end, it's a different game, and it's just enough for, to keep you coming back. Okay. At least it is for me. But then again, this is a was a big part well, of Well, I mean, I my... feel the same about Pokemon Go. Yes. I still play, and I still love it. And, and, and they, keep, they keep adding little things. It's like as soon as things feel like they're getting a little stale, like, oh, I wish yes. there's something new. Boom, here's something new. Well, <laughs> one thing that's going to be new for you, me, and everyone that played Pokemon, let's go um, uh, Pikachu and Eevee, is the Pokemon, well, essentially bank that allow, if you are someone that plays all those games, you can transfer your Pokemon from Pokemon Go into Pokemon Sword and Shield. Oh, nice. So the ones I know you, you could already do that with Let's Go. Yes, it, but now it's going to be across all games, and they are they got in trouble because not every Pokemon that ever per, was produced was available to be used in por, Pokemon Sword and Shield. They're expanding the roster, so that will at least make it a bit better. All right. My number four best game was actually a game released earlier in the year, and that is The Division 2. Now, this is Tom Clancy's The Division, and it's obviously a sequel. It is essentially a 
game you can play by yourself if you want, where you're going through the ruins of a disease-ridden uh, Washington, D.C., but the way I played it and what made it great for me is it's one that you can play co-op online with whoever you want. I played with my brother-in-law, and it's just a great, fun game. It's got tight mechanics, and it's a solid, what is called, loot gum game, where you the whole point of the game is to finish a mission and get better loot and improve your character. Or spend money, which is what they really want you to do, but I never spend money on those things. <laughs> but it's like, you know, if you spend five bucks, you can buy this crate, and it could have, oh, this gun in it. It's, it's completely exploitive, I know that, but I had a blast playing this game because there are great challenges, got great gunplay mechanics, and a pretty darn good story because... You play a lot of online games, and you just sort of like the online experience and getting told that n nasty things about your family by 12-year-olds. Yeah. That doesn't happen that often anymore. I notice uh, not many people get on the Call of Duty and uh, it's trash talk as much anymore. Uh, well, that's good. Because that... I try to I try to get it started, but no one responds. They just mute me. <laughs> well, that's... Mute is a great <laughs> option. But my, my number three game is a 100% online game because I'm sure you've heard of Fortnite and PlayerUnknown's yep. um, uh, Battleground. Did you know that there's a Tetris version of that? Oh, nice. A 1v99 Tetris where you're taking on, not, well, actually, it's 1v98. It's Tetris 99. It's for the Nintendo Switch. And basically, you're trying to make it so you don't, you're the last Tetris player remaining and uh, by getting clearing out lines you force other people's tetris screens to get more filled and as it goes on and on and on obviously it gets harder and harder and it's just great they have expanded it it now does have regular single player tetris if you want it that was lacking when it first launched and you just have a blast and the best part of it the tetris 99 portion the online version as long as you're paying the 20 bucks a year, that's right, for Nintendo Switch to have online services, it's only 20 bucks a year, you can play that for free. Okay. Also, with Nintendo Switch Online, you get a free download of an NES Classic emulator and a Super Nintendo Classic emulator. So you get all three of those things for the 20 bucks a year. Not bad, actually. So my number two favorite game is... The Outer Worlds. This one is one that kind of went under the radar, at least didn't do as well commercially as I'm sure the developers wanted, but it's another great story-driven game, much in the same vein as a lot of the most recent Fallout games, but you're basically an, you're a space buccaneer. You're going from planet to planet, getting to do whatever you want, making moral choices. You can be as nice as a person as you want and go helping everyone or you can just be like you know what way i'm gonna fix this got a gun boom you have the thing i want you dead wow this sounds like ready, ready player one my favorite movie of 2018 yes it's it's a very fun game it's got a lot of good humor to it if you have the xbox game pass xbox one users this is a game you get for free it's in the xbox game pass great time had by all all and my number one game of the year, the best Star Wars thing released this year, Star Wars Jedi The Fallen Order. It combines so many elements of games that are popular right now. It has the climbing mechanic of the Drake series and 
the Tomb Raider series that is all the rage right now. It has the incredibly difficult type of uh, fighting that is popular in the Dark Souls area. It's just a great, tightly polished game with a great story and uses a license really well. Because can you think of anything better than going around and just getting uh, rid of dudes using a lightsaber? <laughs> I guess that's a, I mean, it's a pretty powerful weapon. So It's an awesome weapon, and you also get to have the Force powers and do, really, anytime I've had a Star Wars game where you get to be a Force user, pick a person up, put them over an edge, whoop, drop them. And just yeah. watch them fall to their doom. I guess my problem with that would be because the force technically you could do you could move anything. Well, you're not. And the, in the game, you're going to be restricted. Like you're like, I want to move this. Well, no, you're not you're the not strongest force. Well, that, that's the one thing that you can always say <laughs> about this one is you're not the strongest force user. Oh, okay. He's someone who actually had cut Can't himself make a off. Ship explode? No, he's not that strong. But it's a great game. It's gotten all the laurels, and it richly deserves it. You're going to have a great time. Only thing I wish they'd add right now is basically a boss rush mode, just so I can go and challenge myself. Cool. But that's me. All right. But you have ten top movies of the year, because yeah. there were more than ten movies last year. Yes, uh, I saw a lot of movies last year. and uh, So 2019, top films of 2019 uh, for me, starting at number ten, is uh, a little horror type of movie called Midsummer, which uh, is about a couple that travels to Sweden uh, to some little hometown retreat ritual thing, and yeah, things turn very culty and uh, gets very graphic and very violent, and it's a very strange movie, but you kind of know what you're getting into when you, when you see the preview for it. Um, I really enjoyed this film. Uh, it's probably in the horror movie type of community that I'm in. Uh, one of the most talked about films of uh, 2019. It's it's awesome. Uh, my number nine film of 2019, Ford vs. Ferrari. Uh, Matt Damon, Christian Bale. Uh, Hard to go wrong with that kind of combo. Yeah, exactly. And it's a great story. I knew nothing about this story, and I'm a racing guy. I knew nothing about the, you know, the, the, the Le Mans and, and you, you know, Ford. Even trying... I knew this one. And I'm not that much of a racing guy or a yeah, car well, guy, but I, I, I didn't knew know that. the details of this exact story uh, that they, you know, that they put together. Um, but after watching this film, it's again one of those true story movies that's so good that, like, when the movie's over, I'm like, I have to look up, like, you know, fact versus fiction, yes. and I want to know, like, that just basically Henry Ford said there is no budget for this. Spend all the money. Yeah, I mean, kick uh, his keister. I mean, the film is just like really good. Uh, very edge of your seat action. A lot of, a lot of comic relief. Um, you know, of course, there is a little bit of you know fiction thrown in there. Of to like, uh, you know, especially around a couple of the characters. Because a few, one of the characters in particular, that's kind of like the villain in the movie. Yeah. He's one of the suits, and you know, and he's like, oh, I'm in charge. You know, like you're gonna listen to me. And I'm like, it, it, that guy really exist? And he existed, but he wasn't that extreme no so and once again douchey, and once again in reality the edict from uh henry ford was spend the money yeah uh, my number eight film of the year a uh, beautiful day in the neighborhood uh Aww. tom hanks playing mr rogers um and i've said this before 
the movie isn't a Mr. Rogers movie. Yes. It's a movie about the reporter who's interviewing Mr. Rogers. Which is why Tom Hanks got Best Supporting Actor. Yeah. And you I mean, think he'll get it. Yeah. I mean, now, if you saw the documentary, which I know we've talked about on this podcast, that movie is a Mr. Rogers movie. Like, that movie is about him and his life and everything in his life. In A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Tom Hanks is playing Fred Rogers, and he's a very important part of this movie, but it's not about his life story. Right. But it's about how he changes people off camera versus on camera, and it's a great movie. Get your tissues ready because you'll get teary-eyed pretty much nonstop. Oh, jeez, and I'm um, already at... It doesn't take much to get me weepy-eyed. Yeah. Uh, my number seven film of 2019? Yeah. The Irishman. The three-hour masterpiece the by epic. Morton Scorsese that you can watch on Netflix. Um, I Incredible cast. Incredible story. Um, I mean, it's Morton Scorsese. It's a, it's, it's a masterpiece. And it's, all, and it's all, of the, all of your big players, the Pacinos, yeah. Pesci's, all those guys. Um, you really can't go wrong with it. I no, mean, it's no Oscar doubt. bait, but it's also... A fantastic story. Yes. Uh, my number six film of 2019, Us. The Jordan Peele movie about uh, everybody's doppelgangers coming after him. Another um, early um, uh, movie year that it's easy to forget about. Yeah, I mean, it came out in February, I want to yes. say. And it was my favorite movie of the year pretty much until midsummer. I mean, not the movie Midsummer, but the <laughs> middle of summer 2019. I, I understand, I understand. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I loved it. I mean, good original story, great music score. Uh, just a lot of mystery behind the who, what, where, whys. I, I love that about simple horror movies that you don't need to go into detail and explain every reason for everything happening. Just stuff happens and you're like, what the hell? Um, and after watching the movie, you'll never, ever, ever listen to Beach Boys' Good Vibrations the same ever again. <laughs> Thank you, Jordan Peele, for taking that song and making it mean something else. Um, Thank you for ruining that song for you, I right? didn't ruin it for me. I Actually, I was like, I listen to it now, and I instantly think of the scene in Us now. Uh, my number five film of 2019. The top and, five. Yep, we're in the top five. And this one, probably the biggest, biggest Oscar snub of the year, Uncut Gems. Yeah. I loved this movie. I loved I, I It was a great story. And um, just a just a raw, like, really good film. And mm-hmm. Adam Sandler was fantastic in it. He Adam. got robbed. The movie got robbed. Everything about this movie got robbed by the Oscars. I don't understand why, because I don't know anybody that saw this movie and hated it. Adam Sandler trying to do his best to Bill Murray and in his latter years becoming a more significant actor. Yeah. And who knows, maybe Adam Sandler 20 years from now will be just showing up randomly at people's parties. Yeah, maybe, but I mean, I thought this was a, a a great movie. It opened up Christmas night. I went. This was my Christmas night movie. I went to go see this Christmas night. Pack theater. I mean, just really good story. Um, just a good story about just getting caught in the in in the underground of the wrong wrong mindset, wrong people, wrong time, and you know, and a guy who's just you know, it's got a lot of things, got a lot of issues with him. So. Yeah, but uh, it's a great story. I mean, you got to see it. Um. Moving on to the top four of 2019, my number four movie, and this movie got a lot of love from all the award shows. I saw this movie about three or four months ago, and and I saw it because it's one of those movies that was just sitting in the theater. It had a lot of good hype, a lot of people saying it's a great movie, and I'm like, really? A foreign movie? Just been in theaters for like two months now, and it's doing well, and everybody's talking about it. I was like, I got to go see it. 
and it's Parasite. And I went to go see it, and I loved this movie. Well, good. And 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 for good reasons. I mean, it got a lot of love at the Golden Globes. It's getting a lot of love at the Oscars. A lot of nominations. Just about a family in Korea that they're on the poor side of town, and they find a way to snake their side into the rich side of town by being by corrupting a very wealthy family. And I don't want to spoil anything beyond that, but it is awesome. And the last 20, 30 minutes of this movie just takes a right-hand turn or, and goes down a dark alley, and you're like, what the hell just happened in this movie? And it, a fantastic movie. Now, I, it has subtitles, but I'm telling you, like 15, 20 minutes into the movie, when the story's really picking up, you're like, whoa. I, I, you don't even pay attention to the okay. subtitles. You just uh, you I'm enjoy the film. I'm going to have to see this one. Yeah, Parasite, fantastic film. My number three film of 2019, uh, the visual masterpiece 1917 by Sam Mendes. And, and this is a lot of people's Oscar favorite, though. Oh, I, I would say this probably will win the Best Picture Oscar. This or Parasites. Those are probably the top two runners for, for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. I mean, Parasite could but make history a, here by winning by being a foreign film and winning Best Picture at the it Oscars. Is just, it is, it's definitely going to win Best Foreign Film, yeah. but it could sweep both. And this in 1917, obviously, will we either win Best Cinematography or... Oh, hands down. It's got... There's nothing that can beat it. Visually, this is the the best... One of the best movies I've ever seen in my life, visually. Yes. I mean, the cinematography is fantastic. You'll watch this movie, and you'll be blown away by all the visuals, but then on top of it, you get a really excellent World War II story. Mm-hmm. Um, and World War One. Sorry, World War One. Uh, Not a, used to that. <laughs> yes, you'll get a, a a great story, but the visuals are just. I actually, I I need to go see this movie a second time because I enjoy the visuals that much. I it's just, uh, yeah, hands down, cinematography is going to win. Um, directing probably will win too. Sam Mendes does a fantastic job. It's just a lot of these shots when you're watching this movie, you'll see that it's a single camera shot. And it doesn't cut. Like he he follows an actor walk through a war zone, and you're like, all right, where like where are the footprints for the camera crew? Because I can see the footprints of the soldier, but he's walking to the same spot the camera crew just walked through, and yep. I don't see their footprints. It's just like little things like that. You're like, what the hell, man? It's like this is just fantastic the way they shot this movie. I mean, I'm one of those guys. I hate all these. Unless you're a Transformers type of movie, I'm not a big fan of using a ton of special effects. This movie uses little to no special effects, and it shows practical effects. It's awesome! So fantastic film, loved it. Uh, my number two film of the year should be no surprise. Joker, loved this movie. Yes, and it was a great film, and it got the most nominations. I think that's going to be a detriment to it when it gets to the Oscars because it already has the um, uh, stigma of being a comic book movie. And some people will say, well, I'm going to vote for it in this one category, but no other category. I'm going to vote for it in this category, but no other category. And I think the fact that it got so many nominations may end up hurting it and its chances to get any of the at least top awards, best actor or best picture. Oh, yeah. This happens to a lot of movies. A lot of movies will get, you know, 11, 12 nominations and maybe win one or two. And I, I agree with you. And I think Joker might win, you know, a couple of things, maybe a screenplay award. It's got the screen. I think I mean, it has they, a lock on that. Yeah. I mean, I think Joaquin Phoenix is, I, when I look at the best actors that are nominated, I think Joaquin Phoenix is, he's been my lock to win since the movie came out. I thought Adam Sandler would probably get a nomination and might pull an upset, but I really don't think anybody's going to beat Joaquin Phoenix in the best actor category. Um, I mean, yeah, there's a couple of legends in there. 
But just his performance and the fact that it got so many nominations, I got a feeling he's going to win. And when I think about it, how cool would that be for Heath Ledger to win as the Joker in Dark Knight and then for him to win <laughs> it would be as, cool. oh, playing the same character, you know, in a completely different movie several years later. I mean, I think it'd be awesome. Um, my number one film of the year. This has been my number one film of the year since opening night. Saw it four times in the theaters. The Quentin Tarantino masterpiece, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I think it, that's a, a well worth pick. It is just a joy to watch. And here's another one that's got a nominee. It's got nominations in all your major character categories. You got best picture, best director, best actor, best supporting actor, yeah. all in there. Best writing. Mm-hmm. And when you think about all these movies that are nominated for Oscars, this is going to be another one that's probably going to win one or two awards. Yes. And get snubbed on the rest. I, I mean, I think. At the end of the day, 1917 will probably get Best Picture, uh, Best Director, Best Cinematography, you know, and I think Joaquin will probably get Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor. I think that's going to end up be Joe Pesci. Like, I, I mean, I just, I just don't see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood picking up many awards, except maybe some of the technical awards. Um, we'll see. It could possibly take the writing award. I mean, Quentin Tarantino's a fantastic writer. He is. And you know, the more I, the, every time I watch this movie. And anytime I watch any Tarantino movie, I always notice how detailed he is with all of his characters. Mm-hmm. He makes every single character in all of his movies so interesting that you could do a spin-off of those characters right. into their own movie. And he's doing that with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I just read yesterday he's going to write a five-episode uh, 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 Jack Dalton series. Nice. Uh, and... It, it, just a little mini series. He's going to do like a five episode thing. He's well, going to I said I wanted to see um uh, that show. Yep, uh, so, martial law. Yeah, um, but um the the one thing I want to go back to what you said, and we'll get into this more when we do our Oscars episode. I do think that not only I think you're gonna um uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood has a better chance of winning more awards than Joker, simply because once again both of them, but. The stigma of the comic book movie, I think, is going to bring it down a lot because there's a lot of people with that Scorsese mindset. Like, it's just a comic book movie. It's not worth it. It's not art. I'm not voting for this at all. Which is crazy to have that mindset because I think me and you and a lot of other people agree that you could watch this movie and not think of it as a comic book movie. I agree, but... And it probably... At the end of the day, if you didn't have Bruce Wayne in that movie, or I'm sorry, or Thomas Wayne or Bruce Wayne or any mention yes. of the Wayne family, if you take that out of the movie, you could leave the city as Gotham, you could leave Arkham mm-hmm. in the movie, but if you but because you put the Wayne family in this movie, you immediately made it a comic book movie. But if you can take the Wayne family out, you can say, No, this isn't a comic movie. Nope. But I mean I ju- I you just can make think, that argument. I, you could. I just think it's go the stigma's gonna hurt it too much. I could be wrong. No, I hope I I'm mean, wrong. Yeah. I mean, and again, I, I also, I would not be surprised, and if, like, I get into, like, the whole, like, betting on the Oscar thing, I would put money on Parasite to upset Best Picture, based out of the fact that, like, the Oscars are always getting blasted for no diversity yes. and stuff, and here you got a Korean film, the Korean cast, all in subtitles, it's a lock for Best Foreign Film, hands it is. down, it's not, it's not losing that, but if it wins that and wins Best Picture and break some new history, I mean, it'll be a huge headline for the Oscars. Yes. It'll be huge for this movie and people that talk about no diversity in Oscars and stuff. 
it, it'll shut all that up. So we'll, we'll see, see what happens. But you know what? We were talking about Joker, who is a DC Universe character. And over on the CW, they have their own DC Universe. And they went all out for the last five episodes. Oh, yeah. Crisis, Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yes. Oh, my God. Um, well, I'll tell you this. Uh, the very first episode, episode one, about 30 seconds into it, was my favorite moment of the entire series. Because you got Robert Warhol returning as Alexander Knox yep. for a quick cameo. In, where he, for, in Universe 89, yep. just before it gets wiped out. Yes. Uh, that was that was awesome. Um, I mean, the, the cameos in this. I mean, the cameos in this are so much fun. Some Kevin of them Conroy play uh, Bruce Wayne, uh, demented Bruce Wayne. Yeah, I, that was. Although awesome. I had some issues with his performance, I don't know if he was trying to sound like he was kind of slurring his words, like maybe he was a drunk Bruce Wayne at that point. Because at least when I first heard him, he didn't sound as crisp as he was when he was Bruce Wayne in the, the animated series. Yeah. But that was me. But I think and, they wanted him to not sound like he did in the anime. I think they were trying to make him not intentionally sound, oh, wait, you got cartoon Bruce Wayne, you know? Well, like, I thought that, that's, it's impossible not to. I think maybe they were trying to make him sound like he was a little intoxicated because he's obviously not a good Batman. Yeah. Uh, but let's um, uh, start with the first episode. Obviously, it's them trying to save Earth-38, Supergirl's Earth. Yeah. Why is that one the most important one? Episode 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Let's put them in order. <laughs> Chronological order matters. Uh, and it's ju- it's setting the stakes. They had been setting the stakes all season on Arrow as universe- universes and Earths had been destroyed. But this is the first episode of it, and they're, once again, trying to save and Earth, and, well, not only do they fail, the guy that was supposed to lead them in this assault against the Anti-Monitor decides to stay behind and is made dead. So, immediately, they set the stakes pretty high. They destroyed one whole universe, one of the main universes of the CW, the one that you wouldn't think would be destroyed, and they killed off, arguably... The main character, certainly the first major main character of this CW, DC Universe. And how were you feeling when you saw that? Um, I, I mean, I was a little shocked, but at the same time, I'm like, well, you knew Stephen Emile. You knew, you knew Arrow was coming to an end. Yes. Um, so I'm not, I, I wouldn't say I'm not surprised, you know, that they killed him. I didn't think they'd kill him off this early. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because, you know, he did say that, you know, he's going to die to like save everybody. And yes, see that whole storyline is what bothered me. Cause I'm like, I didn't really feel like, I didn't feel that emotional connection to Arrow. Uh, At least that, not anymore. Yeah. So that, that like, would, I suppose would be my biggest neg- nitpick about this, um, uh, crisis on infinite earths. It feels maybe about a year and a half too late from when the DC CW universe was at its absolute peak. Yeah. It feels now, like now it's missed. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that, because now I feel like the DC Universe, all the CW shows, some of them, like, like I think Arrow's gotten a little stale. I yep. think Flash has made it some, for some it's people, like, for me, it's, it's it's gotten a little stale. Supergirl's been pretty consistently good. Uh, Batwoman, I'm just kind of if and on and off with. It's like, I really enjoyed the first few episodes, and then it got stale. Um 
and, and then you've got this you've got these new shows coming on that are going to mm-hmm. replace like Arrow and stuff. So I mean, I I think a lot of these shows like you know they're they're just like you said there. Um, I, I think you're right that you know maybe this is like a year and a half too late, but I mean the fact that they were able to bring in so many like cameos and Easter eggs. Oh and, God, and, yeah. And, I mean, just made the show so much better. Um, I know we're running short on time, but we want to like <coughs> uh, get through some of our biggest highlights, other than the cameos and stuff. I mean, yeah. would, was there anything that really like surprised you about it? You know that it's nothing really surprised me except for the Maiden cameo and that being um, uh, the DC Cinematic Universe's Flash appearing. Oh. That came out, out of, of nowhere. nowhere. Yeah. Especially considering at that time, every universe has been destroyed. Yeah. But luckily, the Flash can time travel. I mean, and talk about one of the best scenes in the whole series. Mm-hmm. That was a really cool scene between, two. Uh, you know, you got the, uh, Ezra's Flash and, and Gustafson's Flash, you mm-hmm. know, uh, coming face to face and just like... It was a great, a, hilarious, whoa. fun scene. And it now at least says that those universes, that universe, well, since he was also... Uh, Grant's Flash was time traveling at the time, but having Ezra's um, uh, Flash get the idea to call himself the Flash, since in that universe he is not doesn't even have a name yet. Yes. And like, wait, wh- what do you mean I shouldn't be here? What, what are you trying to tell me? No, no, no. I need more information, and then he disappears. Yeah, I mean, in that scene, really, when you think about it, kind of overshadowed almost everything in those last two episodes because yeah i mean i i remember seeing that just thinking about how cool that was and then not paying attention for the next 20 well, minutes and then and then getting into the last episode like i hope something is just as cool as that moment and nothing really as cool as that moment happens well let's except talk- at the end when you're, when you're showing the a couple of other cameos yeah. near near the end of the movie which was cool where you got to see swamp thing mm-hmm. uh which i never watched and i know it was canceled but i heard it was fantastic um you know, you get a quick little glimpse of Swamp Thing, and, and you know, the Titans kind of made their yep. their cameos. I haven't seen any of that series yet. I hear it's awesome. And um, uh, Green, we saw some Green Lantern. We got to see the redemption of Brandon Rao's Superman. That was great. Cause oh, that was awesome. His stu- actually, all the Superman stuff was great. Tom Welling being Superman, great. Well, being Clark Kent. And just his little line saying, I gave up my powers, but I'm still stronger than you. Because yes. he is huge. He yeah, is cool. swole. I mean, I think for the writers and the casting choices they made, this was awesome. Because, like you said at the beginning of this, this episode, you know, the fan service. And just kind of getting Brandon Ruth back into the Superman costume, as well as him playing his regular character. Oh, yeah, his own um, character, his own um, uh, Interacting with himself was great. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just is, there's so much of this stuff that was just, like, really cool. Uh, you know, the special effects, the budget, everything. Like, yes. you, they could have, like, I think they, they could have, cons- you know, trimmed some of this down and just made a movie and put it, like, as a fandom event in theaters. And Certainly it didn't need awesome. to be five episodes because, let's be honest, episode five was completely pointless just telling you that they're all on one Earth now. Well, I, I noticed this because I watched a lot of them through DVR. Yeah. Um. Each episode was barely forty minutes. I mean, it, it it went off, it went off like forty minutes, and then you know they went ahead and <laughs> did so many commercials filled in every single episode. So, yeah. But anyways, uh, I am. Uh, I think that'll do it actually for our episode of 
the Hillcrest Duo, episode 111. I'm Metal John at Metal John Radio. And, uh, Brad, any other quick thoughts here before we wrap up? Um, no, I just have one quick question, because we saw in the final episode that there were a couple Earths, that uh, all the Earths were coming back, but some of them obviously combined into one Earth. And my question is, how many Earths combined into one? Because obviously Black Lightning kind of gets screwed because his Earth doesn't come back and he's stuck on a new one. But that's my one nitpick. Yeah, well, I well, you know what? The end too. The Hall of Justice was pretty awesome. It was, but I don't know how that's going to play into future. I mean, is that is that just going to tease the next crossover? You know, twelve months from now, or is that probably? Yeah, I I mean, I'd love to see that kind of play a little bit into some of the episodes of these characters, but we'll see. Anyways, uh, this has been one eleven of the Hillcrest Duo. I am your host at Metal John Radio, and you can follow me on Twitter, and that is I'm Brad Risto. Follow me on Twitter at Brad Risto. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you.